0: Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly.
1: What well, happened to music that meant something? The Who at the Kingdom or a Kiss at the Coliseum. Where is the Misty Mountain Hop?
2: Where is the is the smoke on the water? Where is the Iron Man of today? Yeah.
3: Not a test, this is rock and roll!
4: Kurt Cobain famously called Teenage Fan Club the best band in the world. Two decades later, they released their 10th album and are back on the road. I'm Greg Cotte of the Chicago Tribune, and I'm Jim Dirigatis of Vocalo.org.
0: Today, Teenage Fan Club performs live in our studio, and later on, Greg and I review the new album by rapper producer Kanye West. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions.
4: From WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX, you're listening to Sound Opinions, and time now for some music news.
5: The long and winding road That leads to your door Will never disappear I've seen that road before yeah, It always leads me beyond Lead me to your door
4: Yes, indeed, it has been a long and winding road. Our long international vigil, Jim, is finally over. The Beatles are at last on iTunes. That seems to be the most asked question when it comes to the iTunes store over the last five or six years. When are the Beatles finally going to be on there? You notice that really doesn't get asked of a lot of other bands, but the Beatles finally have agreed with Steve Jobs to make their music available on iTunes. I think the big question for Beatles fans... Was the music going to be available separately as individual tracks mm. in addition to albums? And yes, the good news is that individual tracks are going to be made available in addition to the album. So you've got the album selling for about twelve ninety nine, the individual tracks selling for $1.29, premium prices by iTunes standards, immediately undercut by Amazon, which does not have the MP3s available, but they did cut the prices on their CDs in response to this big news. It's interesting because this is now... The sixth major incarnation, by my count, of the Beatles catalog that people are being asked to buy yet again.
0: Now, how are you counting that down?
4: I'm counting vinyl, I'm counting 8-track, I'm counting cassette, I'm counting the original CD issue in the 80s, and then the remastered CDs yet again last year. You can also throw in the Beatles rock band format if you want that. Remember, they uh, dipped their toes in the digital stream last year with Beatles rock band. Now they follow it up with iTunes. Well, to say nothing of box sets... And those past Masters
0: CDs and any number of other best of one
4: offs. I don't know about you, but I'm finding the response to this sort of being rather anticlimactic. A-, a lot of yawns out there from people who are saying, now you're doing this? It would have been big news five years ago. I'll tell you, you what my response is outrage. The Beatles,
0: for half a century, have had one of the most loyal fan bases in the history of popular culture. How nice would it have been for a period of weeks or months or the first year to say, you have bought these albums three, four, five, <laughs> six times? We're going to give them away for X amount of time as a free download so that now you can put them in your mobile devices. They have more money, the (laughs) estates of Harrison and Lennon, McCartney and Ringo, than the highest living king could ever spend in a hundred lifetimes.
4: Come on. But see, there's more at stake here than just the Beatles estates. Obviously, they've never turned their backs on any revenue stream. But there's also EMI involved, their record company, which is in huge financial trouble. I think this is a last-ditch effort on EMI's part to get yet another chunk of money out of the Beatles' back catalog because they are in desperate financial straits. So it's not just the Beatles involved in this decision, but it's their record company as well. Well, let me tell you, EMI, money can't buy you love. And love is all you need.
0: (laughs) You know, Greg, this begs the question, are there any really significant artists still left as holdouts not selling their music on the iTunes store? I think this list speaks for itself. ACDC, Garth Brooks, Kid Rock and Bob Seger. He could sell his music to Chevy, but he's not selling his music through iTunes.
2: My time and I can
0: way You're listening to sound opinions and that is the song about you by the Scottish power pop group Teenage fan club. Greg, these guys have been one of the longest running and most consistently rewarding acts of the last two and a half decades. Formed in their native Scotland in 1989, they are now on album number 10 called Shadows. And they were on a worldwide tour when they came by to our studio. The key, I think, of appreciating Teenage Fan Club is that there have always been not one, not two, but three great songwriters. And the way their voices and their guitars merge is nothing short of magical. Norman Blake, Raymond McGinley, Gerard Love, those are the three songsmiths been together from the beginning. Francis McDonald now been on drums merely a couple of decades, not the whole history. And they're
4: touring with their pal Dave McGowan on keys. A truly extraordinary band, and it was great to have them in here. That longevity is truly remarkable, Jim, no doubt about it. So when they were in the studio with us, we took them back to the very beginning, and I asked guitarist Norman Blake to tell us about the band's formation. Okay, well,
1: myself and Raymond and Francis had an earlier gr- group called The Boy Hairdressers, and we made one single, 12-inch single, on a label based in Edinburgh called Fifty Third and Third. Oh. One of the people who ran that label was a guy called Stephen Pastel, or people pronounce it Pastel over here. (laughs) Uh, He was a friend of ours, so we had made that record and the group kind of petered out. But we had some of the songs that we had left over from that group, uh, we used or started to think about in in terms of having a new band, putting a new band together and recording them. Yeah, we wrote a bunch of songs, demoed those up uh, and got a little bit of money. And went into a small studio. It was a, a very small amount of money. It was I hasten mm-hmm. to add. And we went into a studio in Glasgow and recorded the songs. From there, we gave a cassette to Stephen Pastel, who passed that cassette on to Gerard Cosloy, who was starting Matador at the time. Yeah. And before we knew it, we were um, signed to an, an, an American record label. Yeah, And so it all kind of happened very quickly.
4: Not just any American record label. Matador you know, was a big taste-making label. <laughs> that's right,
1: it was, yeah. And I, th- yeah. I think her album is maybe the third album that was released on the label. So it was way, way back at the start of Matador, you know. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you know, just recently they've had their big 21st anniversary show yeah, in Vegas. and yeah, so That's right.
0: Raymond, yeah. what what struck me when I first had my mind blown by a Catholic education, remains one of my favorite records, was you guys were so out of step with everything else that was going on. We had the nascent grunge thing beginning to happen from Seattle, you know, we were starting to hear Nirvana and Mud Honey, right? At home in the British Isles, you know, you had the Manchester dance grooves and you had the shoegazers, and yet you guys were doing something different. This was power pop, perhaps a genre you've come to hate because nobody ever knows what that word means, right? No. <laughs> but, uh, but but what were you listening to in Glasgow? And what was inspiring you guys, first in the boy hairdressers and then in Teenage Fan Club? I mean, I think in terms of being, you know, outside of stuff, I think at that point in
6: time in Glasgow, there wasn't really a lot happening. So I think we did just feel outside of a lot of stuff because we're in Glasgow, we're separate from whatever else was going on in the rest of the country. But I mean, we were into records like, at the time, you know, like Excel and Rolling Stones, Exile on Main Street are things. And I think we liked a lot of American stuff like Sonic Youth and Dinosaur Junior and stuff like that, mm. and together with loads of other stuff. But I think um, as a band, I think we wanted to be a kind of straightforward... We grew up, I suppose, in Britain with the NME and... Those kind of music papers that it seems like you'd get bands that would form and do interviews and kind of develop a kind of persona or something maybe even before they'd really done anything and be t- defined yeah. by that and we kind of wanted to just go away write some songs, record them finish the album, do the whole thing before we interacted with any of that stuff <laughs> Made the album first before we did anything. Yeah, nobody knew who we were. Went we there was nothing outside of just us doing our thing. We hadn't interacted with anyone in any way at all. Well, you
4: know, you're so. talking maybe a little bit about that NME thing, where it was about the image and maybe a little bit of the the fashion and the trends of the day were kind of dominating sure. how you should sound. It would yeah.
1: change from week to week with the NME. Every week they would because it was a weekly publication. Yeah, every week they would have to be championing something, you know, and so that's why all these bands formed who hadn't really done anything. You know, they would have one song and Mm -hmm. they would have the front cover of the NME. It was was that easy. Yeah. If you kind of said the right things and if you were, at at that time, probably based in London. Mm -hmm. And so for for us, yeah, we wanted, we liked the idea of making the album and then presenting it as a fait accompli.
4: The sound of that first album, Gerard, maybe you can talk about this a little bit. I mean, Catholic education, a little bit more aggressive in some ways than maybe later work. Was there any particular reason for, for that sort of sound at that point?
7: I guess Norman Raymond had written the songs before mm. went into record it. Yeah. I, mean, I, don't, I think maybe when you're kind of younger, I think maybe you like to kind of dress things up and hide behind distortion a little, you know. Mm-hmm. Maybe you just want to kind of bury... The, I remember
1: Norman always wanted to bury his vocals in the mix yeah I mean I suppose we were just inexperienced we didn't really know what we were doing and, and as you and said studio, it was a little you know, studio and a yeah, little money exactly yeah, yeah. And, and, I mean, yeah and, and a little amount of time <laughs> you know we didn't have uh, we only had had a few days to record the, the record. Um,
0: One more ancient history question I think the Fannies as your longtime followers oh, yeah. uh, we have this notion because you guys have stayed together so long and you've always shared songwriting duties and you sing so beautifully together we just have this notion that you guys like have been friends since you were three or something is that true before uh, boy hairdressers when did you actually meet. no
1: really just uh, we kind of met around the glasgow music scene um mm-hmm. there were a, there was a club called splash one which was a great club actually it was run by bobby gillespie from oh. primal scream and a few of his friends and they had splash one psychedelic punk rock happenings once a month for a couple of years and they put on great bands they had felt and the jesus and mary chain sonic youth played there wire yeah. and they played great records, um, lots of uh, garage records, 13th floor elevators, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, the club was named after an elevator so Yeah, exactly, yeah. there you go,
1: Splash One, of course, yeah. yeah. We hung out there quite a bit and all sort of met through that
0: can we keep that thing in our head of the beatles where you're like all live in one house that's all <laughs> attached yeah can we just yeah. don't uh, disillusion us yeah, too much yeah. we do that we do that now yeah. <laughs> yeah. okay yeah right. your, your wives must be uh, kind <laughs> of thinking what's going on here guys <laughs> like um. the monkeys or the beatles well why don't you give us a song we have teenage fan club here and they've got instruments in their hands poor francis is going ultra minimal not on drums he's got a tambourine and he's got his foot miked yeah, yeah i've been relegated but
2: yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> i'll do my best Okay, well uh, we'll play a song from our new album called Baby Lee.
4: That's Baby Lee by Teenage Fan Club live on Sound Opinions. We're going to have more with the Scottish pop band after a short break on Sound Opinions from WBEZ and PRX. And then Jim and I are going to review the latest from hip-hop icon Kanye West. So Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim Dirigatis, and that's Star Sign by our guest this week, Teenage Fan Club. That's the band's biggest U.S. hit to date from the album that brought them their first big success in the States, Wagon S. They had released two well-received albums prior to that in their native Scotland. Then Wagon S. came out on Creation Records and famously became Spin Magazine's best album of 1991, Get this—it beat out Nirvana's "Nevermind" and REM's "Out of Time" for that honor. So that's where we pick up our conversation with that turning point year of
5: 1991.
0: 1991's pretty good year for rock. Out comes this album. Not long after this album by this band Nirvana, which has a baby going after a dollar on a fish hook. Yeah. They're rather cheeky. These Brits give us an album with a cartoon of a big money bag <laughs> on it. Yeah. They have left the indie Matador Records and signed to Geffen and given us this album, Bandwagon-esque. The title, the cover, everything seems to be saying, yeah, we're ready to sell out. I mean, in retrospect, this has got to take your breath away. Spin Magazine says it's the album of the year. The heck with Nirvana's Nevermind. The heck with My Bloody Valentine's Loveless. Uh, You know, that's well, gee, Two of the best albums of the last century.
1: The reviews editor at uh, Spin Magazine was a guy called Stephen Daly. At the time, who was the drummer in a band called Orange Juice? Oh yeah, who were from Glasgow. So there were possibly there was a bit of nepotism going on (laughs) (laughs)
0: there. So uh, yeah, no, no, but an extraordinary album. It's one of those albums that is so amazing, and people still love it to this day. Is it like a millstone around your neck? You're nine albums into this career. That's the one everybody asks you about.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, no, I mean, we we made it, you know. So there's nothing we can do to get away from uh, you know talking about or answering questions about it. It's all good, as far as we are concerned. Obviously, we don't listen to our old records and review them. The only time we hear the songs is when we play them live. Yeah. You know, because for us, it's, uh, we've always thought it's kind of masochistic to listen to your own music. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and, Jerry, you would mentioned on the first record, A Catholic Education, that you guys were y- young, you really didn't know what this was going to all sound like, the uh, vocals were a little buried. It seemed like with that third album, with Bandwagon-esque, the sound really came together, a defining sound. And what was more interesting to me then was the fact that you had three amazing songwriters in this band. Everybody was contributing. Usually there's an alpha male and then there's a, the rest of the band. How did you guys sort of resolve that issue in terms of division of labour within the band?
7: Yeah, I don't think we ever planned it. About six months before we started recording Band Wagonesque, we rented a room in a town and built a studio. So we'd spend a lot of time there just recording ideas that we all had. And I think we just realised that we had... a f- a lot of different ideas, you know.
1: To us, it seemed like it would be easier to have four people writing songs than one. <laughs> you know, it's um, like you say, the division of labour. Yeah. There are three of us writing in the band, there's less of a burden, and each of us individually. You know, certainly talking about now, we have, I think, nine or ten albums into our thing. For one person to be writing songs for each of those, your, those albums, you'd be talking about 140 or 150 songs. I would challenge anyone to write 150. Good songs. It's, it's not easy, yeah, you know. Sure. So for us, it makes it. It helps if we share the burden, and hopefully means that we can make better albums.
0: But it's so interesting. I mean, shadows. If you look at the song credits, they go love Blake McGinley, love Blake McGinley, love Blake McGinley. It's kind of this neat division of labor. And I know that you contribute to each other's tunes as well. But it's it's amazing that it sounds so much of a piece. This album is a journey, as much as any of the records you've given us. And yet there is that kind of uh, everybody's yeah. Sure, well, I
1: mean, um, like you say, we do all play in each other's songs, so in some ways, we could probably rearrange it in another way and it would work okay, but uh, I think with this and the last album, it's, it's, we've done exactly the same thing. You know, it's just something that we've kind of followed, the way that we've fallen into working.
4: Well, the other thing too is those beautiful harmonies, and I remember, Norman, I talked to you back in the day, 20 years ago, and certain critics would rip on you guys, oh, they just, they just sound like Big Star, and I, yeah. 99.9%... Of the people in America, I guarantee you had no idea who Big Star was back then.
1: That, that's true, I'm sure, and and we were lucky enough to meet Alex Chilton around about that time. I think all we uh, we ever did was, was wear our infl- influences on our sleeve. We were happy to talk about them, and mm-hmm. lots of people are very guarded about what influences them, and you know, very often if they tell you what influences them, then you can hear it in their music, and so we 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 liked the sound of the Big Star records, and uh, actually Alex's solo records, and. We liked his approach to making music, so I suppose it's it always gets mentioned, the big star connection
2: what you do to me I know-
4: But I think the larger point was, you were bringing melody back in a big way and harmony vocals in a big way. Nobody else was really doing that at the time.
1: Yeah, we were encouraged by Don Fleming, who produced Bandwagon S, to do that. He said to us, um, you know, you guys are good at doing harmonies and, and not many other people are doing that. You should maybe focus on that a little, you know, and see what you can do with that. He gave us the confidence to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um,
4: the sense of humor is some, sometimes lost with you guys. I mean, people don't appreciate, I think, how, just how humorous you can be. You guys covered Like a Virgin, uh, <laughs> a Madonna song. You had all these great songwriters in the band, and yet you covered that song. What was the motivation behind covering Madonna, who was kind of like, almost like the... You know exhibit a of who you don't want to be you know at the yeah. time because all the indie bands were too cool for that
7: yeah i think it was, i think it was tongue-in-cheek really. yeah, <laughs>
4: yeah.
7: <laughs> it was a good song i think it, was, oh, yeah, it, was, it worked it was, i like that know? i still
4: play that version once in a while <laughs>
0: You are listening to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. He's Greg cut How about another song, fellas? Yeah.
1: Um,
6: what are we gonna play? do we go old on you?
1: Um. Don't look back, maybe.
6: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Let's okay. We'll, nuts, we'll play a, a song called "Don't Look Back." If I.
5: sun shines in your eyes So brighten up my sea sky Break out I'm a boy, I'm going nowhere, and understand if I must Something else so it's hard to see
4: Beautiful stuff. That is Don't Look Back from Teenage Fan Club on Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and we're here with Teenage Fan Club, uh, Norman Blake, Raymond McGinley, Jerry Love, Dave McGowan, Francis McDonald. You guys don't come through often enough, as far as I'm concerned. uh, The the time keeps stretching between albums. Uh,
1: last two have been five years. Yeah. Yeah, each.
4: So... um, Any particular reason that it's stretching out between records a little bit more? Do you feel like the standards maybe have gone up in terms of what you'll consider a quality song before you record it?
1: No, no, I think um, we we, t- we toured quite a bit after both of the, those records, you know, and I think after that we thought we'd take a bit of time off. And and actually, here's the thing with this album, we actually finished it quite a long time ago. But we had we were we were looking for a new manager uh, at that time, so we had to basically spend a bit of time finding them.
0: Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, I assume that money bag on the cover of Bandwagon S probably ran out a long time ago. But yeah, but are yeah. you guys still fortunate enough <laughs> to? Uh, I mean, is this your living? Are you able twenty w- years in to, to yeah, just be sure. a teenage fan club? No, we
1: still we still make a living from it. I mean, we're not you know we're not uh, living in mansions <laughs> yeah. or um we're working a of bungalow band. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, that's that's, good. that's well, good. I like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. um, <hello> band. <laughs> yeah.
4: Although at this point, I would say with a band of, of your stature, with the three songwriters primarily, each of those guys would have made four or five solo albums by now, much less have a band anymore because you all feel like, hey, I need more space, I need my 12 songs per album. There's just not enough room for my quality material anymore. And yet you guys have managed to maintain a partnership all these years. How is that? Well,
1: do you know, we've done other things too. I suppose we, together, collectively, we, we made an album with Jad Fair. When we made that record, we pretty much improvised the music and we switched instruments and Jad would come up with a lyric that he thought would fit. So that we did that.
0: I- I'm glad you brought that up. So it's 2002. Jad Fair, of course, one of the great American underground outsider artists of all time, leader yeah. of half Japanese. Yeah. He's part Jonathan Richmond and he's part Martian. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Um <laughs> not anybody I would have ever thought that Teenage Fan Club would collaborate. Where yeah. did that come from? Was it was it Don Fleming, your your no, old producer No,
1: Um it was actually through the Pastels. Chad came to Glasgow to spend time with them and we myself and Jerry it played with them. At
7: our, student, at or our or studio you know, the
1: one we were yeah. talking about earlier, yeah, mm. the, where we did the bandwagon esque demos and Chad came over and we met him then. And so he found himself in Glasgow and on numerous occasions around the time we made that record. And he started to stay at my, my apartment um, with me and my wife and daughter. On one of those trips, we just got talking one day about the idea of making a record together. And we have a friend who has a little studio. And we booked a couple of days and went in and set up the equipment and, like I improvised the yeah. album. Mm. And we were pretty pleased with the way it came out. We let Stephen Pastel hear it. And he had a label called Geographic, which goes through Domino Records, and they were keen to release it, and so that, that came out, and we did a tour, yeah. all from kind of nothing, just a kind of conversation, so that was great.
3: I want to be
5: near to you tenderness in your kiss Gentleness in your I have desire, I want and I need to be near
4: to you it sounds to me like a different method of working for you guys as well to to be thrown into that sort of you know let's just make it up because the the songs i get the sense that these songs are are thought out and and very well structured there's a sense of we know exactly how this is going to sound when we go into the studio, pretty much. I mean, is that pretty much true? Um, to, to an
1: extent, I suppose they are. I mean, we, once we're in, though, we'll start to experiment a bit in terms of, you know, w- with this record, we recorded it in, in the south of England, and because of that, we were able to take all of our equipment down. So we basically set, set up in the controller and put everything with lots of different organs and... Lots of different amplifiers, and so it meant that we could sort of, if someone had an idea, you could go out and try it out. For us, a way that we can improve what we do is work on the arrangements and make them more interesting.
4: Mm-hmm. How about another song, guys? What What are we going to hear next?
1: So we're going to hear the past. So, um, from our, from the new record, Shadows.
5: Um, uh, one, two, three,
1: uh. rolling through the city sprawl.
5: Survivors are waiting for a friend to call. I'm adrift again. I search for nothing at all. Self-awakening.
0: That is Teenage Fan Club with the
4: past from their new album, Shadows, on Sound Opinions. We want to thank Teenage Fan Club for being our guests on Sound Opinions. Norman, Raymond, Jerry, Dave, Francis, thank you so much for coming in today.
2: Thanks. Thank <laughs> you.
0: comment on our conversation with the members of Teenage Fan Club or anything else in the world of rock, call 888-859-1800 and we'll put it on the air. Next up, Greg and I review the new album by hip-hop provocateur Kanye West, and then it's my turn at the Desert Island Jukebox. That's all in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
4: Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim Urigatis, and that is a track from the new Kanye West album, My Beautiful, Dark, Twisted Fantasy. It's a track called All of the Lights. Kanye West, one of the most in-demand producers in the business, uh, before he started making his own records, uh, Jay-Z brought him to New York from Chicago to start making beats not only for Jay-Z, but for people like Talib Kweli, Mos Def, Benny Siegel, Foxy Brown, Ludacris, Kanye had plenty of success as a beatmaker, but there was serious doubt about whether or not he was a, a rapper, a star in his own right. He proved everybody wrong in 2004 with The College Dropout, his debut album, and ever since then he's had a steady stream of hit records. As a rapper, songwriter, performer, producer, he is a quadruple threat, one of the few in the business and one of the most successful acts of the last six, seven years. Of course, we can't talk about Kanye West without talking about controversy. I mean, just in the last few months, we're talking about an artist who uh, the former president of the United States, George Bush, said he was the low point of his presidency for something (laughs) he said about the Hurricane Katrina disaster a few years ago on national television. A lot of people know Kanye West for one thing, that he bum-rushed the stage when Taylor Swift was receiving an award and said, you don't deserve this. Nonetheless, there is plenty of music to talk about, and Jim and I are going to review this record in a second, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, but let's play a track from it first. Hell of a Life from Kanye West on Sound Opinions.
3: Just fell in love with a porn star. Turn the camera on, she a born star. Turn the coroners in a foreign car. Call the coroners through the CPI. She gave that old n***a, <laughs> owes her bittersweet taste, made us go too late, uh. Make the knees shake, make the priest faint, uh. Make a numb, make a cremate, uh. Move downtown, cop a sweet space, uh. Living life like we want a sweet space, what? We headed to hell for heaven's stakes, huh? Well, I'ma levitate, make the devil wait, yeah. You Lost your mind Tell me what you think We crossed the line No more drugs for me Your B- religion is all I need Grab my
2: hand and Baby we'll live A hell of a
0: life That is hell of a life by Kanye West from studio album number five, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. And Greg, it is nothing short of a beautiful masterpiece. Kanye West continues to astound me. And people at home may be skeptical right now. They're saying, what? This guy is just a jerk. Yeah, he may be a jerk. Let me remind you that John Lennon once said something that enraged the entire Northern Hemisphere about religion and the Beatles. Let's separate the musician from the music. I don't care what Kanye does with Taylor Swift and all that other stuff. What he is doing in terms of bringing in pretty much the entire palette of popular music into hip-hop is nothing short of extraordinary. Sampling 21st Century Schizoid Man by King Crimson, Mm -hmm. nicking the melody of Iron Man by Black Sabbath, humming or singing a beautiful, and I mean breathtakingly beautiful, David Gilmore-quality guitar solo with, with his vocals through a vocoder. You know, here you have a guy who is putting his heart right on the table. I didn't know if it would be possible more than the album that came before, 808s and Heartbreak, about the death of his mother and the end of his engagement. I didn't know if he could be more honest and bear more of his soul. Here he is. This is like a therapy session. Mm. And it's not for nothing I made that Lennon comparison when Lennon sang about the loss of his mother and the horrible things that had happened to him as a child. You know, Kanye doesn't like himself very much. Nobody in hip-hop, heck, nobody in all of popular music ever does that and say, I can be pretty despicable, I can be a sexist, I can be a lousy boyfriend, I can be a raging egotist, but I believe in the power of music is the message that comes through again and again through these songs, none of which are conventional hip-hop. Some of these are seven, eight, nine-minute tracks. Mm -hmm. This is like a merger of Yes or Genesis or the most ornate Beatles with with hip-hop you have gathered by now on the buy-it-burn-it-trash-it scale. This is a a, a truly extraordinary and enthusiastic buy-it.
4: I would agree with a, a lot of what you said. I think he is on a scale with somebody like a Brian Wilson in the 60s or, or a Marvin Gaye or Stevie Wonder in the 70s in the terms of the of what he's shooting for here, the ambition of these records. The thing he has going against him is this almost pathological allegiance to saying exactly what's on his mind at every minute without any kind of filtering. But, you know, he's aware of that. And that gives his music not only a sense of bravado, but vulnerability. And he's playing both sides against each other on this record. The same thing with the music. He's got this incredible classical opulence going on. You know, he's got harpsichords on here, choirs. Cellos. Trumpet, fanfares. And at the same time, there's this grimy element, too, Mm -hmm. these dirty percussion sounds, the dirty guitars that you were mentioning. He's bringing all of these elements together. I mean, he's just hugely ambitious, multi-layered, a kind of record you could spend weeks dissecting just just the music about it. Forget about what you think about this guy as a person. This guy owns his jerkdom, and I applaud that honesty, but I also even more applaud just the musical ambition and how he pulls it off on this record. My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, a buy-it record all the way. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched.
5: Remember, we were shipwrecked together.
4: As often as possible on Sound Opinions, we like to take a trip to the desert island and drop a quarter in the jukebox to play a song we cannot live without. And this week it is Jim DiRigatis' turn.
0: Thank you, Greg. I have had Beatles on the brain, and not only because of that iTunes news we covered earlier. I finally caught up with an absolutely stellar film last weekend, Nowhere Boy, which is the story of John Lennon at age 14, 15, as he first falls in love with rock and roll, forms a little skiffle group, okay, mm-hmm. that will go on eventually to become the Beatles, and the really weird upbringing. You know, he's raised by his aunt, but his mother, who's a very troubled woman, lives, you know, just around the corner, and he doesn't. Know it until he's 15, and you know, yada yada yada. It's a great movie. I think it makes a great double feature with Backbeat, which picks up the story in Hamburg. But I was thinking about this moment of how Lennon came to fall in love with rock and roll. And there's a wonderful scene in the movie, which has been in several of his biographies. He is down on the docks of Liverpool. He runs into an American sailor. He has just shoplifted, young punk that he is, a bunch of vinyl 45s from the local record store. It's all jazz. It's all jazz. I hate it. He's throwing them into the, the water and this american sailor comes up and says well you know wait a minute don't don't just ditch those you know i'll trade you and gives him a 45 by an american artist one jalassie hawkins born in cleveland ohio soon to become known to the world as screaming jay hawkins this is one of the classic tracks of early rock and roll you know, you got Elvis, you got Little Richard, you got Chuck Berry, all do props to them. I think the first guy to really bring fear and loathing into rock and roll was Screamin' Jay Hawkins. Hmm. With that 56 single, huge smash, I Put a Spell on You, banned on radio stations across the country. He was accused of of everything from voodoo incantations in this <laughs> song to horrible depictions of assault largely because he was stinking drunk when he recorded it and started mumbling and moaning and and grunting and wheezing to the point where he never remembered the next day recording this song and and they played it for him and he had to learn it from what he had done in a drunken stupor. Or so the story goes. I love the scene of the impact that this made on this young impressionable boy half a world away in Liverpool and and how that would go on to to form his life. Because of that, I just got to play. Screaming Jay Hawkins. It was good enough for John Lennon. It's good enough for me. I hope you too. I put a spell on you on sound opinions.
2: i put a spell on you cuz you man
0: immortal screaming jay hawkins with i put a spell on you my
4: desert island jukebox pick for the week greg what do we have on the show next week next week jim our annual turkey shoot uh, those records for which we had high expectations but let us down greg as always we have some thank yous to say teenage fan club was recorded
0: by mary gaffney our production team in terms of beatles songs In turn, julia mullen gordon well she's julia no doubt a hard day's night that would be jason saldana Hey, Bulldog, our you. other producer, Robin Lynn and Tori southside Malatia, our executive producer and fearless leader. He's kind of Maxwell's silver hammer. <laughs> I don't care if you don't want me.
4: I'm right now. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say.
8: Hey, this is Carrie Brief from Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm calling in regards to the uh, recording industry suing that woman and countless others. When they started doing that, I stopped buying music. I continued to go to live shows, and I still do, and I'll buy a CD directly from a band as I did last night, but I refuse to support an industry that sues It's customers. I don't agree with illegal downloading, but there's a better way to handle it. They've lost my business, so until they change their their ways, no way, they're not getting my money. Thanks. Um, I was just listening to your show, The Rock Doctor, giving suggestions to cats in Chicago. I thought your selections were right on. But I also think you should probably suggest to her a uh, group called Soul Live. They're very funky, good horn section. I think you should recommend their first album that I brought by them called Doing Something. It's very funky, it's soulful, and that definitely get her customers jump in there. wanted to put that out there to you guys this is darryl Coleman from the bronx you guys did a great show i love your show thanks bye <laughs> By my French teacher, my first year at college, and his wife was actually French, and she had all this vinyl of Eno. Music for Airports was in there, and it was my introduction to the concept of ambient music. I also had access to something that was called I'll Come Running to Tie Your Shoe, which so incredibly sweet. I'll come, shoes. Shoes. <laughs> I'll come running to tie your shoe. I'll come
5: running to tie your shoe. I'll come running to tie your shoe. I'll come running to tie your shoes.
8: I haven't had access to Brian Eno in so long. Uh, all that stuff is just past my fingertips these days. Thanks for giving me an update on what Brian Eno has done. My name's Rich. I'm in the Philadelphia market. Hi, my name is Trish, and I just wondered if you had heard CeeLo Green do his "Fu" song on uh, Stephen Colbert on the Colbert Report. Uh, it was really cute, and instead of "Fu," he used Fox News.
2: Before you turn around, turn around.
0: Anyway, it was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot. Bye. No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.